Welcome to episode 146 of uh, Convos in the Pedicab. I'm here with my friend, uh, 10th Planet Purple Belt, uh, an ex-Marine who fought with the Kurds in Iraq, Shaka Curtis. Uh, welcome back. Glad to have you. Last time you were here, we uh, I thought we may have World War III in Ukraine with Russia. Now uh, we may have World War III in the Middle East with Israel and Iran and every other Middle Eastern country. So happy to have you come and break down this crazy this crazy time that we're in. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm a I'm a blue belt. I don't want Curtis to kill oh, me. Shit, I, I love you, big bro. I eventually, eventually. I thought that they promoted you. Well, what happened was I had got injured uh, with my shoulder, okay. and then uh, when I came back to the game, the game changed, bro. Okay. I was there right before the leg lock phase. Oh. And you know me, I don't I don't like playing bottom game. You know, never was like You're eating my ankles. I'm yeah. a top guy, man. I'm a power top. You're a power top. Yeah, bro. So, um, yeah, man. This um. Dude, there's so much BS in this Middle East thing. I, I, I just feel bad for everyone who's like really worried about it and stuff because uh, there, there's just so much misinformation going on that it's like, I don't really know where to start, man. Well, um, it's a very complicated situation. And I don't like how, um, I, I'm really not like a, a fan of how either side is breaking it down. Although being Jewish and having family in Israel right you're going to lean very heavily towards israel having the right to exist and defend itself and and uh not only just defend itself because of what's happening right now is a little bit beyond self-defense but ensuring that israel always remains a sovereign country and and eliminating any kind of threat that um would be posed to people living in a specific region which if you're a you know if you're in charge of a government your main responsibility is to protect your people from harm yeah, absolutely. But like my my first thing, my first thing with this whole story with how it's playing out is that it's all it doesn't make sense. Like Israel, Israel's border with Gaza is the most observed and reviewed border in the world. There, There's camera surveillance. There's a wall like everything that Trump wanted to do with Mexico is there in the border with Gaza. And let's let's talk about the space as well. That border with Gaza is about the size of New Jersey, no? Yeah, it's a very small border. And it's Israel a is a country border. the size of New Jersey. It's very tiny. Okay, so here's my first question. How the hell do you launch an attack on a walled country without being observed by anyone, go and penetrate into the walls of that country and then your immediate action is not to find out where and whom that attack came from. Because you've got surveillance on the wall all the time. And 20 people penetrated the wall of the country and then got deep enough into the country without us knowing for them to do the damage that they did. That doesn't make sense to me. So, like, when I start, when the story starts with that, it takes all of my ideas from what the media is going to say. And it, begin, it makes me filter it. You know what I'm saying? So I actually agree with you. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that fully. Um, the Israeli border is the most secure border in the world, potentially. Mm -hmm. um, the Israeli Mossad is one of the best intelligence agencies. It's not the best intelligence agency in the world. We use them for help. Yeah. <laughs> when we don't know what to do, we go to those guys. And you're telling me they couldn't find the group of people who are going to cross power, the border? On, on, on uh, paragliders. Like using, primitive, yeah, uh, using pretty primitive weaponry to, to do this. 
Uh, that is extremely strange. It's not just strange, it's absolutely ridiculous. And then you you go in you go in in the story a little bit deeper, okay? I've been in the Middle East on the ground as a civilian, you know what I mean? Like I see the quote unquote uh, land battles that are going there. We know the names of the cartels, right? Tell tell me if you know any of these names. Uh, CJNG, MS13. Yeah, okay. Mara Sabasucha. Right? MS13, yeah. Yeah, we know we know these groups, right? Yeah. Name me one our Iranian black backed militia group. I don't know any. Not one, right? Yeah. It's freaking weird, huh? That is weird. We are about to go to war, quote unquote, in a way that could destroy a quarter of the world's population, potentially, with the potential of nuclear weapons, direct energy weapons, and EMPs that could snap the entire financial system out of control. And we don't know the name of a single one of the Iranian-backed militia groups that are about to make us take that step. It's a little bit odd. How would this escalate, though, to a major full-scale war? The way it would escalate to a major full-scale war is by the media storm that's going now. This this creeping fear that's going around the world is what initiates the war, right? Because we're wondering whether or not we should go to war versus what whether wondering why we are being controlled in this way. I'll give you an example. Okay. Have you ever met an Iranian? Mm, yeah. My friend David, who does uh, my battery work, is Iranian. Super cool dude, huh? Very cool. I mean, he's, he's not, he doesn't look Middle Eastern or he doesn't look like a Middle Eastern Iranian, but he's from Iran. Like, his family's from Iran. I have not met a single uncool Iranian. In fact, I, I've been to the Middle East and hung out with Iranians, and they were cool there, too. I also saw a video at a soccer game. Where um, they were like protesting and booing like Hamas and booing all this extreme, all this crazy extremism at the soccer stadium. The Iranians freaking love us, bro. In fact, when I when I asked the Iranian that I met in the Middle East about whether or not he was going to try to kill us, of course I was joking with him, but I was yeah. also like testing him. Yeah, you know what I mean. He was like, he was like, dude, no, we we don't give a shit about Americans. It's our government that doesn't like you. We fucking love you guys. So. It's not the Iranian people. And they, the way they're talking about it, like the Iranian government, the government of the Iranian people, it makes it sound as though it's the Iranian people that hate us when it's a small oligarchy at the top of their nation using their funds to attack our interests indirectly through people who we don't even know the names of. Well, yeah, and I think this also goes back to Israel, too. And you could also believe that, you know, Israel deserves the right to exist as a sovereign country. Um that Jerusalem is a holy place for Jews to go to, but you could also um, have extreme distrust and anger towards the Israeli government for um, playing politics with with this ideal and putting their own people as well as everybody else in harm's way for whatever reason that they're doing. And you should have distrust towards the Israeli government for two major reasons. First of all, in what situation has a country had its people removed and then the people get to just go back? What do you mean? So we moved the Native Americans out to the west of the Pennsylvania line and stopped, right? That's one of the things that we did. We said we we're going to walk one direction for 24 hours and then we'll take the line at that land. Imagine if the Native Americans were to show up at the White House today and be like, hey, we used to live here. We're going to come live here now. Well, I think that you actually kind of are seeing that with what's happening um, at, the, at the southern border. So, so, uh, tell me more. Well, um, how many people are coming in for the southern border every single day? Yeah. 
like 10,000 a day. Yeah. Or more. Um, what, I mean, listen, there's a lot of military age Chinese men. There's a lot of people from Haiti. There's people from all over the, the world in these third world countries that are coming here. And that's a huge problem. Um, we can maybe get into a little bit later. Um, but it's also just a lot of Latin immigrants, a lot of immigrants from Venezuela, a lot of immigrants from Nicaragua, a lot of immigrants from South and Central America. Mm-hmm. Well, where could you trace their lineage to? South Texas. Or native being Native Americans. Mm-hmm. So you might actually kind of low-key be seeing that right now, and people just aren't talking about that. Well, that's not, that's not the only part that they're not talking about. But uh, it, it's, it's just frustrating because we, we're, using, we're using that as the, uh, the argument for Israel when if we use that as the argument for Israel, we have to give back 60% of our country to whomever uh, from when we got here because that's the part, those are the parts that we pushed them out of versus the parts that we slaughtered people to take. And have you ever experienced racism? Well, I mean, I'm kind of experiencing a little bit of anti-Semitism because of all this stuff. Yeah. So, And I'm seeing videos online where you like in dagestan you're seeing people like you're seeing hordes of like muslims attack like trying to find and attack jews and you're seeing people like throw rocks and like you know do things to synagogues you're seeing people harassing jewish business owners like you are actually seeing some of that stuff from the 1940s that i thought would never be a would be something i would ever live to realize so so i feel like i am kind of seeing that maybe not to the same extent that you've experienced it but i'm, I'm starting to see how how like Germany in the 1930s happened, and I saw that also with COVID, but I'm really starting to see it on, a, on an even grander perspective after what's been happening since October 7th. Yeah, and I appreciate you bringing it up from that many different directions. In, in the Middle East, in that part of the Middle East, people are racist in that way. Even the Israelis. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, and that's what they don't want to talk about. No, no, that's that's a fact. Like there, there are a lot of Israelis that do not like the Arabs. Yeah, it's not. It's not. We say we say they do not like, but like when I say do not like, I think of like high school girls when they're like, oh, you can't sit with us. What it really is is like old school, nineteen fifty five. I hate the fact that I hate the fact that they breathe my air. Type of hate. Like it's like it's legitimate, deep seated, uh, blood in their heart type of yeah, hate. Yes, but then also in in yeah. in the Gaza and in Palestine, you are literally teaching hatred. That's like from from the schools. Like they name schools after suicide bombers in in Palestine, and they have um literal. They literally have cartoons that promote jihadist propaganda. Like give her to Farfer. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they also have that. So it's like if those guys are your neighbors or, you know, the, the leader of, of Hamas, which is the governing body, is talking about the complete eradication of Israel and the eradication of Jews. And they're still talking about how there won't be peace until that happens. Mm-hmm. What do you do if you live in a sovereign country and that guy is your neighbor? Well, the first thing that we know you don't do, especially if you've got enough weapons to level the entire city at will, is level the entire city at will. Or leave yourself open to an attack knowing that this would happen. And then, if, again, contrary, if you're um, with Hamas, you already knew what this this was going to be. You, you already knew the consequence of that action. And, and doing that, um, knowing that this was going to be a consequence, mm-hmm. kind of, you also have to call that into question. Like, why are they doing that? What is their ulterior motive? Like, you, you do have a government on that side that will use innocent kids at, for PR purposes. Like, they do put their weapons and all this stuff next to hospitals, next to elementary schools and do all that like that is a thing too it just makes very little sense to me that hamas would uh, conduct this attack in the moment that hamas conducted this attack it makes a very little sense to me and i say that because there's no upside yeah there is what's the upside of the funding attack? funding um do you see how many um protests there are against israel as a result of how um israel's response 
and you don't think Hamas knew that this response was going to happen? But Israel's response doesn't make sense either. Israel, if Israel's response is such as it is, Israel was responding like the stupid little brother that got too drunk at a bar and won't stop talking shit. And I say that because what we've done in the Middle East over the past 15 plus years was engage an enemy that is very similar to Hamas. We know well, we the way a lot to... of those people, and Israel also did help fund Hamas in the 1980s to, as a way to contain the PLO. And Netanyahu was always giving, was periodically giving money to Hamas because it was also one of those things where um, if you fund this terrorist radical organization and you feel like you can control it, well, uh, nobody takes them seriously at the UN or at, at, at any other um, global conferences, and so then you can continue having a, like a, a total control over a narrative. Like there is that component that I agree with. Which I, which I think is what we're missing. Because if we have complete control of the narrative, we can say something like Hamas conducted this attack and then do things based off of that. If we paid Hamas and if we gave Hamas their weapons capability and we controlled Hamas's media, we could certainly say that Hamas conducted an attack. And with the anger and the rage and the emotion behind a, a directed or uh, orchestrated attack, we could blame Hamas and the people who were supporting Hamas would be so excited about it that they would let them have uh, credence for it. Not to mention the figurehead of uh, the figurehead of organizations like that gets rotated. So if there's a leader in Hamas and he gets his head chopped off, I mean Hamas would just go to the next person in charge. Well, yes, that's true. Do you think that there's there's a possibility that maybe like it wasn't the U.S. or something like that that it was like other countries like like some of the BRICS countries that could have like helped plan this low key because this because you know everybody knows that anytime um a major conflict occurs like world war ii world war one etc you know you get a, a changing world order and you see the people at davos who they, they openly talk about creating a changing world order um and part of this changing world order entails not having the uh eliminating a lot of the freedoms that come with being an american citizen and in the digital age this is something that they openly discussed through the control of misinformation and disinformation and you know equitable access to vaccines and all this other all this other stuff that that kind of ties into this um you know in 15 minute cities and sustainability you know you it would make sense that if you wanted to create this kind of a new world order you can't do that through democracy you have to do it through authoritarianism and by upending a region like this and creating a wide global con wide scale global conflict you could institute that changing world order and maybe they're taking a gamble on the fact that the United States is weaker than it's been in probably a hundred years. That's possible. But I think something that would make more sense is this for me. Yeah. Remember last time uh, when we were together, I talked about Hillary Clinton, Putin and Trump being in the same team. You sort of re refresh my memory. Yeah. So when it comes to the Jeffrey Epstein thing, um, Donald Trump and Bill Clinton were kind of in the same boat so far as culpability with that. And because of the fact that Donald Trump didn't put Hillary in prison and because they worked together before and after the election while all the BS was going on with them slinging trash at each other, um, it's my theory or my belief that Donald Trump, Hillary, and uh, Putin are working together. In which case... Because the United States has control of Israel, if Israel wanted to test new weapons or sample what it's like to uh, reinforce a border uh, where there are things like tunnels that go under the massive wall, various portions of uh, engagement, as well as in embedded insurgency right across the other side of your border, 
it would make sense for the Russia to initiate an attack like that, which goes across the border into Israel, that would have had the lights at the wall turned off, quote unquote, for them to go in and have that attack uh, allowed by the United States. And it would make sense for this to happen because we need to prepare for the attack that's coming across our southern border. We're talking about this border between uh, Gaza and Israel, the size of New Jersey, when we have a border literally the size of our continent at the southern side. And the tunnels that are in Gaza are mimicked all through the United States coming through the southern border. And it would make sense for us to use this as an opportunity to test what it would be like for us to receive a major attack through something like that. It's a possibility. I mean, you could also... I've also always been worried about cyber attacks, too. I don't know how I see this Middle Eastern conf conflict leading to a, like a global cyber attack, especially in the U.S., because I don't think that like any of these like, like I don't think that these Middle Eastern countries are really known for their cyber infrastructure. Um, but I do see that these I do see these protests popping up all over and they're popping up not in third world countries. They're popping up in, in Western developed countries that still on paper like to say that they espouse Western ideals of freedom and democracy and, and you know, a, a constitutional republic and all this stuff. Right. Um and one of the things that they talked about in Event 201 as a result of the pandemic was that you were going to see governments get overthrown and a bunch, an insane amount of civil unrest as a result of that. Um, and when you've created this economic mess that's happened as a result of lockdowns and, and the printing up, the devaluing of the currency, the energy policies and everything, you're going to get a lot of people, a lot of people within, a lot of people in these countries are going to be very mad at their governments, right? And if I'm in charge of these governments, well, I don't want these people lashing out at me. Right. I want to be able to control how the civil unrest unfolds. So, hey, a lot of migrants from these Middle Eastern countries, we just let them waltz in to England, to France, to Germany, everywhere. Uh, and now this this attack that this attack that happened and the um, response has kind of activated a lot of these groups. So now instead of the people, instead of um, the civil unrest being people revolting in unison against the government, it's now. Um, European citizens fighting against radical Islam, ra ra radical is Islamist groups instead, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I think it's I think it's maybe a little simpler than that, because the way the media spins these stories is in a way that allows us to easily de designate groups and enemies. It's a way to easily allow us to fall into realms of tribalism. But I think what's happening more closely is that because immigrants move uh, throughout the United States and in Europe in droves and then get dispersed. Remember, they're not families that are coming together. They're families who are trying to come together and getting scattered across thousands and millions of people as they do these, uh, these mass migrations. And then as they get scattered, they reform in these small cliques, only relatable by their shared journey of migration. Yes. And that these, these cliques are where racism comes from. And these cliques are where these, uh, these different um, parades and uh, what do they call them? Uh, riots and uh, protests and demonstrations. Come from. Because what else are you going to do? You don't have a job. You don't have a purpose. You just uh, you just showed up in this country and you're trying to figure your life out. And you know that this country is a part of the bombing of where you came from, which is the reason that you're there. So, yes, you're going to protest. And yes, you're going to protest vehemently against the side that the media is saying is bombing you. 
but it's not i don't i don't think it's a matter of like an orchestrated implantation of radicals i think it's people who have no purpose going uh into gangs like we always have yeah but what you just described sounds like how this um implementation of radicals would come into effect uh because the gangs would be radicals yeah yeah, yeah. you're right and, you're and right. also when you lose your families and you're and you're you no yeah. longer have that foundation it's a lot easier to get radicalized yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a common fact. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, my mom, my, my mom immigrated from Russia when she was in her mid-20s. You know, I've had my great-great-grandparents on my, on my father's side immigrated from Eastern Europe also, right? Mm. And they, they, they came to America because they wanted to go to America because America offered them a better opportunity, right? These newer immigrants are coming to America um, – because their country is a mess and their country is a mess by and large because of um, what what the U.S. government, um, as a result of their <laughs> intelligence agencies, had done to cause their country to become a mess. So, they're, they're, you know, they're coming here for a much different set of reasons than like my parents or my grandparents or my great great grandparents coming mm -hmm. to America. Yeah. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it was like when uh, the immigrants came across from Ellis Island. I don't know. I don't know what it was like when, you know, we started traveling west. But none of my immigrant neighbors say hi to me. It's the weirdest thing. Like we'll have like native Hispanic immigrant neighbors. They come into the neighborhood and I'll say hi, but they look at me like I'm a ghost. Yeah. You know? they, they don't speak. They, they barely speak any English. No desire to assimilate. And this is not me getting angry or, or targeting or trying to go on a, a hateful tirade right but um there's a difference in terms of the types of immigrants that come into america and a lot of that does have to do with how our foreign policy has caused them to come here because maybe if we were a little bit more isolationist and we didn't meddle in the affairs of other countries they wouldn't be you wouldn't have people that hated this country coming to this country in droves it's honestly like it feels like if i were to bully a kid in my high school and then the principal showed up and then told me that the kid was going to come live in my house for a little while. And we're just like awkwardly looking at each other. Yes, like, but, but he also got bigger and stronger and got like a brown belt in jujitsu. No, you no, know, no. like that's like I think it's like I think it's more so like if like the three of their brothers came came in there. Oh, you OK. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because if it was just one person, then I wouldn't give a shit, you know, but it's like. I, go, I look outside and I think about what happens when the, the, the power grid shut down and we didn't have any power, right? If all the immigrants who speak Spanish and, like, don't speak English get together and decide to take over my neighborhood, like, I mean, I'm not, not only my SOL, but I feel really bad because I'm not able to be a part of that group, you know what I mean? And I, I bring this up because this is what happens in war zones. This is what happens in destabilized governments and lack of uh, lack of power, lack of water, lack of energy, lack of currency. People get together based off of their ability to communicate and uh, share a common goal. And they take over shit like warlords. And that's the thing that we have to worry about most in the United States. I mean, hell, we can't even control a freaking riot. We can't keep uh, we can't keep rioters from smashing our capital if you know if that wasn't orchestrated. But it's just like if we can't do that, how do we expect to calm the upwelling of immigrants that we've allowed into the country in the case that we shut things down on them? Yeah, well, it's it's impossible. It's almost like there's a um, global plan to destabilize nation states and usher in something else. 
That's crazy, man. Where would you come up with that? I, I don't know. That, that's that's freaking that, wild, that's man. Hey, that's a conspiracy. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That's a conspiracy. That's something Alex Jones would say. You don't want to say that. I'm going to get canceled off the internet for making a statement like that, Shaka. I mean, you just might. I mean, it might it might be just as crazy as giving Israel a couple hundred billion dollars to fight this random war that they decided to start in the first place. When well, do, we, when do we get to be mad at Israel for... Uh, hold on a second. Hold up, hold up. I'm, I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but we also just gave Iran like $10 billion, too. We're giving everybody money except and, and neglecting to take care of people in America. Was was that with uh, Biden or Trump? No, Not Biden. Obama. Literally just now. Literally, literally like last just week, just gave $10 billion to Iran. But aren't the Iranian-backed militias the ones that are going to start World War III? That's that's what I'm saying. It makes no sense. It makes no sense, right? Aren't the Iranian-backed militias the ones that are funding Hamas? That's... I mean, the money to Hamas, they are saying, is coming from Iran. But Joe Biden is sending money to Iran while Netanyahu is saying that he's going to flatten, flatten Gaza. Something's not making sense. And it's just like, when you, when you put me in that position, I can either get scared, right? I can get scared and like start pile, stockpiling ammo. Or I can like start looking to my leadership and be like, why are you guys all trying to fuck me over? Well, you could do both. Oh, I'm good. I'm yeah. doing both, right? Like <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting close to my friends. I'm reaching out to people. I'm checking on uh, contingency plans and stuff like that in case they shut off the power grid on us. But like, we gotta, we gotta start looking above us. You know what I mean? Where the fuck are is Jeffrey Epstein's list, and why don't we have the answer to that yet? Well, they would rather destroy the world than find out who's on the client list. Is what we're g- gathering. Yeah. You know how much it sucks to be in the military right now? I couldn't be I couldn't imagine being in the military right now considering the potential of nuclear war against you know, could like essentially tribal people on the outside of a first world country. I couldn't imagine like bombing Gaza when like it's just so disproportional. And and also if we you know I don't think that um the United States should get involved in this war. Just for the record, like I don't, I don't think that they should. I also don't think that, like you know, U.S. taxpayers should be sending any money to any foreign countries, and that that includes Israel. Um, and I also think that there's enough support for Israel and, and and Jewish causes that you don't need taxpayer money to to help the Israelis um, right now. I think that there are a lot there are a lot of very wealthy people in the Jewish community and very wealthy supporters of Israel that can help finance this independently. And I think that. You know, when you get a truck driver in the middle of Ohio um, who's already been decimated by lockdowns, by inflation, maybe he got forced to get this vaccine that doesn't work very well. Um, <laughs> you know, we're sending a bunch of our money to Ukraine when, when gas has doubled and, and food has gotten infinitely more expensive um, and you're being repeatedly lied to on the news. Um, you know, maybe sending U.S. – you know, maybe when that guy has to, you know, take money out of his hard-earned paycheck to uh, – fund another foreign country maybe that would actually create more anti-semitism and i i, I think that um trying to get the united states taxpayer to pay for this is actually going to make things worse for israel and it'll especially make things worse for jewish americans is what well, i think we're already paying for it like we, we there has to be there has to be a cost to get materials to produce weapons unless we're overstockpiled on weapons and we're selling weapons that we already have which under 
what, what, with what I was thinking, we already did that when we were given the Taliban. That's what I'm $6 saying. Billion we gave a of, shit ton of money to the Taliban. Yeah. People are angrier about helping um, Israel um, maintain security in a country the size of New Jersey than they are about giving $5 billion of the weapons to the Taliban. I and that, think, that also is kind of crazy to me. I don't think they're angrier. I think they're realizing how stupid things are. And like it's you like, think it's like a culmination? Well, you got you to gotta think about it. There are people in this world who think the government is here to protect you. There are people in this world who believe that we have still just landed on the Mayflower and the government is there to keep us protected from the Native Americans. And for them, the Native Americans are the black kids down the street. The Native Americans are the Republicans. The Native Americans are the freaking Democrats. They, they choose who the Native Americans are and the government's supposed to protect them from the Native Americans. Well, here's the truth. 1864 passed a long goddamn time ago. The Native Americans and most of us are cool unless they're living a reservation by our hand. And what we're dealing with now is unique. It's unique in the sense that we can be chill with our neighbor. We, we recognize as not just a society, but as a world, that war is fucking dumb. I don't think there's a single person in the United States or Iran or Gaza or Israel who's like not in the government. Who's like, you know what I really want to do? Attack our neighbors. I, w- I want to destabilize the world. You know what I mean? It's just dumb. I think we have the potential to get to a world without that type of stuff or where the conflict like that is very minimized and very localized. I think a lot of, I think a lot of why we're having this is because, well, A, um, we were a lot more primitive thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, B, I think we have evolved to become a little bit less primitive on an individual basis, but see, once we went off the gold standard and we started um, having our money supply con- just controlled by uh, central banks with no backing mm-hmm. and creating this inf- influx of c- crony capitalism, now you have this incentive to continue to create wars and create conflicts. And, you know, a, post- a post-war and a post-conflict world, um, if-, if I'm at-, at the helm of power on this fiat standard, I want to have complete and total control over the entire narrative forever. And right now, the... Um, the inherent corruption of like of our monetary system is causing um, the perpetuation of these senseless wars because when everything ends, they want to be the ones who have complete and total control over everything. Whereas if, if we start slowly using, you know, adopting parallel systems, you know, embracing Bitcoin, um, if, if more and more countries just started using that as a, as a settlement layer and as a financial uh, payment system, you know, you can't, you, you know, you can't print up more Bitcoin to finance a war endlessly. You know, but you can print up an insane. You can print up unlimited amounts of money to finance these wars f- forever. Well, it's, if that makes sense, right? That make that makes sense. But money, I think what I think the reason why we're seeing all this weird shit happen is because we've come to realize as a people that money is imaginary. Some dude printed up a, a style of currency off of a meme and turned it into a multi-billion dollar industry with dogecoin and when you look at the uh the international currencies for cryptos right now they have skyrocketed since this war took off because people are trading money on the dark uh, on the dark web and in the dark market with that being said we have zero control over financial currencies not just in knowing how much we have but how much is flowing out into cryptocurrencies and that scares the well, piss out of people you see everything on a blockchain and and bitcoin is pretty easy Bit, like bitcoin is a pretty terrible um, means of 
doing terrorism and illicit financial transactions as we've kind of proven. Mm-hmm. Um, and also these other cryptocurrencies are kind of scams anyway. Why, why would Bitcoin be a terrible means of, uh, because everything, because everything is transparent. It's transparent on the blockchain. It's just, it's transparent. Like you, anytime, like a anytime, like a terrorist group has tried to demand ransom payments in Bitcoin to do all types of crazy stuff, they've always gotten caught. That 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 that's that's like a, that's a known fact. Why they, do like, you think that's true? Because the transactions are every you can see everything on a blockchain and you can track how the how the money's being used. There are hundreds and thousands of dr- drug dealers, terrorists, uh, uh, gun dealers who are transactioning over various online dark websites. Yeah, but they're like using the- they're using Monero or they're using like other privacy coins, and they and also cash is more prevalent for that anyway than Bitcoin. Cash in person, but if you have to do a transaction overseas, you wanna you you launder the money through uh, false currencies. Yeah, but Bitcoin and. You, you can look this up and learn more about this, yeah. but Bitcoin is one of the um, worst means of conducting terrorism and all that type of stuff. Like that, that's, that, that, that's been a myth that's been like repeatedly disproven. Well, I, I say that because of uh, a couple of examples. Obviously, there's the uh, the Silk Road example, which was the online uh, uh, dark market that was created to do drug trades and things like that that lasted all the way up until the start of fentanyl. But there's also uh, the transition of Russia's currency into an untradable uh, space. There's a thing called Esper Bank, which is a representation of Russia's oldest bank that was allowing trades up until uh, they began their attack on uh, Ukraine. And while they were doing these uh, trades, their value of that currency went from $16 down to 11 cents. We bought the hell out of them at 11 cents, and they're back up to like $6 right now. And all that returns going to politicians who are trading through uh, cryptocurrencies. Yeah, but what are they trading? What exchange are they using? I mean, Bitcoin's not the only one. Bitcoin is like a, a step into the dark. You know what I mean? Then you mix it up in the dark until you bring it out on the other side. No, I think Bitcoin is actually a way to get out of to get out of a lot of this stuff. Okay. Um, and and you know, look, when there's a fixed supply and one one block is mined every ten minutes, you you can see every single transaction since the first transaction occurred on a ledger. Like you can go back mm-hmm. to every single transaction. There are like people get uncovered all the time by. Um, mixing wallets and doing stuff like that it's not that difficult um it's 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 not it's not that difficult what, what bitcoin's good for in terms of protecting privacy is like if i want to buy meat from you mm-hmm. you know what when they try to like limit the amount of meat you can buy to for your carbon rations something like bitcoin will have will have value because the government isn't gonna be able to seize your money or or tell you what you can and can't do with your money um, because you have full control over over your funds but for like giant, like for 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 giant transactions or or like huge criminal enterprises, people are going to look, people are going to look out for that a lot more, and that that that's gonna be, that that gets traced pretty easily. I mean, yeah, Alex, you're telling me this, and you you know that Hillary's hidden money through charities. I mean, if there's any way to watch money flow, it'd be in and out of charities. If they can do that through charities, why wouldn't they be able to do that through Bitcoin? That doesn't make any sense. Look, you're going to always be able to do illicit activity and illicit financial stuff no matter what. Um, the point is that when you have a currency with a fixed supply that gets harder and harder to produce every four years, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to have a lot less 
um, conflict. You're going to have a lot less cultural degradation. You're going to have a lot less of a destruction in the food supply because you're going to incentivize people to actually save their money because the money they have is going to hold value. And so the so the incentive for a lot of this greedy stuff is going to just the, the, that that incentive isn't going to be there as much. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Good to go. Yeah, that, that that's my perspective. Like obviously, you know, n- no one thing is ever going to solve all the the problems of the world and create a utopia. You like that any anyone who says that is crazy and you should um you should run away from them as soon as possible when they say that stuff. I just think that uh, because you know, because of um, because of its properties, because of the its difficulty to produce, because of the cost in producing the energy cost in producing um, Bitcoin, and because the supply gets capped at twenty one million, um, the incentive to factory farm is is not there anymore. You know, the incentive to uh, for like BlackRock to buy a bunch of houses isn't there anymore. The incentive. Um, the incentive to um, oh, oh, I said factory farming. The incentive to start and finance wars on, on a reoccurring basis isn't there anymore because um, eventually, you know, even when we were on a gold standard, um, wars didn't really last as long for the most part with the, with a few exceptions um, because the people got angry over having to finance. You know, the wars only lasted as long as the people wanted to pay the taxes to fund the wars. Right now, if you could just continually print, if you continue printing up money, you can have these wars last forever. There could be an incentive now for countries to stay for for governments to stay in countries for twenty years and not win because there's more profitable to keep the war going than it is to actually take out the enemy. Which is crazy because what what happened to our needs? I don't I can't think of a single thing that Israel has done for me. I can't you know when when I look into my cabinet, all I see is made in China. I can't think of a single thing made in Israel that the United States provides for us. Not only that, well, don't they do? They do pretty good with electronics. I have no Israeli technology in my in my house. I don't think. Maybe maybe something like a radio. But maybe, but you know, I feel like Israel like Israel does help in terms of make Israel does play a big role in terms of creating the infrastructure for our technology. In what sense, or like as compared to who? I don't, I don't know the, the specific details, but I but I've I've heard that Israel was always like pretty much in the cutting edge of, of creating. I, I gotta look that up, but Israel has, from what I've gathered, been pretty good about making and producing technology. I think I think Israel is an example of unfinished business, which is really frustrating because if we if we sat down with everyone and said hey, we were kind of assholes, you know, which is what we should do. I think we should be like, hey, we're kind of assholes because we went to this land where something exists, not necessarily a country, but a tribal section of land where multiple cultures already existed. And we tried to move them all out of that place. Well, it also you also had a lot of pogroms and there was insane amounts of like vitriolic hatred towards Jews throughout the entire world. Um, and as a result of that, the, the, the movement for a, a Jewish home in Israel started to gain a lot of steam. And so Jews actually were just moving into those areas. It wasn't like they just threw them out. They just started moving. A lot of Jews started moving in just for just for basic safety. I don't I don't know that that to be the case because I was there. And we're talking about in the 1800s. Like. I, I know we were talking. I know in the 1800s all the way up well through the 1900s. But 
I don't I don't know that to be the case because yes there was vitriol and hatred towards Jews in uh in World War II and during that time pre pre World War II they they had pogroms in in Russia like they've um they they had a whole bunch of other stuff that was happening they had the um the Dreyfus affair in France mm -hmm. they had a lot of stuff that was happening uh, all throughout Europe and all throughout um. Even, like not so much in America, but like you had this stuff happen all all throughout Europe, mm -hmm. um, where Jews were just getting persecuted, um, terrorized. Like they, they like states were just allowing for just Jews to get attacked for no reason. Well, I specify I specified that time period because that was when we decided where the borders of Israel would stand, and if we treated African Americans the way we treated Israelis, we would like take all the african-americans and say hey you could have a haven in like florida and we know that didn't work here anywhere anywhere where we tried to take all the african-americans after slavery and and place them with no guidance no transition no psychological help after slavery i mean the place collapsed Wait, what well I'm, so, I'm saying that what they what we did with the Palestinians was almost identical to what we did with African Americans. And what we did with Jewish people was almost identical with what we did with African Americans. We said, Hey, you go live here, you go live here and accept it. But the problem is when we did that, we split tribal peoples. The place of uh, the area of Palestine was much more like a conglomerate of gangs or like tribal peoples, not necessarily a country. Well it was never a country, it was, it was part of the Ottoman Empire. And before that, the Romans conquered it from the Jews and called it Philistine also. Yeah, so it's like, how can we say that that's, one, how can we say that that's Jewish land? And then two, how can we say that the option that we've given them is viable? Like, we know. Well, how is Mecca? Is Mecca Muslim land? There's no such thing as Muslim land. That's so ridiculous. Like, when, you're, when you go over there, when you go over there, like, the people who are here right now, we would be our own little group. And then the people who are across the way would be their own little group random groups of gangs would come through the town and try to start with uh, stuff with us on a regular basis and we would defend ourselves. Yes, okay, but, but, um, and I, like, I, I like what you no said. There's no Muslim land. I, I like what you said about that. I, I, I do like that. Um, and personally, I think that if I'm in charge of the Israeli government, you know, um, it doesn't matter what religion you are or what you look like or what group you belong to, you should be welcome to live in a place like that. I think by and large in Israel, because I've been to Israel a couple times, it's a pretty accepting the state of Israel is a pretty accepting place for people of all types of, of backgrounds. Um, they have mosques on the Western Wall. They have Palestinians in the Knesset. They have uh, Ar like a bunch of Arab Israelis in in Congress. Uh, the Palestinians who get work visas even in Gaza get to go into the kibbutzes and, and live um, as as Israeli citizens. Like they, they, I think, considering the circumstances of where they're located and, and what's happened, and, and even. Even um, taking into account with what you said, the people that live in Israel right now were not born to help figure out how to partition and, and divide that land up. They were born into they were born into the land that they're that they're in. And considering where they're born and the circumstances, I think they've done a pretty good job of creating a, a tolerant um, a tolerant area. You just got to wonder though: are, are the are, are their neighbors going to um, have that same kind of tolerance? And if you give that land up to the Palestinians and it doesn't become a Jewish state, will Jews even be allowed, considering how everything has played out, would they even be allowed to walk around, practice their religion, go to the Western Wall, and actually um, visit these holy areas? 
I, I don't think so. And I, I don't think so because the same people who are angry with the Israelis on the Palestinian side are of the same culture as the Israelis who are mad at the Jew, um, as the Israelis who are mad at the Muslims of the Palestinian side. What they don't see while they're screaming at each other from the other side of the fence is that they are expressing the same personality traits. You know, I don't think that people are as, I think if you look at people on individual levels, there's less hatred than, than is made out to be. So I went to a uh, Palestinian protest. I showed you part of the video, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and the video was, hey, would you like to sign a petition to ban the Israeli flag and boycott Jewish businesses? And, you know, in signing the petition, you realize that the Jews are a small percentage of the population who control everything. Like, it's straight up Nazi <laughs> rhetoric. And people – I got this petition sheet filled within 20 minutes. Now, granted, um, there were probably people who I spoke to that couldn't really read very well or understand what I was saying. And they just – sometimes people just sign things to, so that you can leave them alone. And I, I understand that that's how this works. But I would, I would guess – that like probably 20 to probably 20 to 40 percent right let's say 15 to 30 percent of the people in that protest hated jews i would not be surprised if like 15 to 30 percent of those people in that in that 10,000 person palestinian protest just hated jews or, or wanted israel completely eradicated or had like really crazy extreme um ideological viewpoints and if you're governing a country where one third and let's use that sample size to to um apply to to gaza or, or pa the palestinian land if you have a, if you run a country and this is just a hypothetical question because like every, it's really easy to armchair quarterback foreign policy and ar armchair quarterback middle eastern affairs when you're not in in the government and you're not living there and, and seeing what's going on mm -hmm. but if you're the um israeli prime minister right or if you're in that Israeli government, and, and we could talk about how corrupt and shitty they are. I hate the Israeli government, so we're on the same page with that. Mm -hmm. um, how do you like protect? How do you manage? How, how do you like manage your national security when it's very possible that one third of the people that live next door to you want you genocided, for lack of a better word, and because of how mixed up everything is, you don't know who's who. The first thing you do is remove any and all racial-based or religion-based legislation and do everything you can to bring the people together from across sides. Because the, what we don't talk about is that just as many percentage of Palestinian in the West Bank who are angry with the Israelis, the Israelis are just as angry with the Palestinians. That's the only reason why war is so close to being on the table. If you look at what happened with the uh, African-American and the white experience in the United States, when we, decided to, um, when we decided to release the slaves, the slaves had a safe place to go. The slaves had a place to, we, we didn't necessarily get to immediately become citizens, but we were able to be seen as humans by many of the local populace. In Israel, Arab Palestinians don't get looked at as humans, and it makes it... it Wait, it, in, in Israel, the ones who live in Israel are looked at as humans. They get to serve in government and become doctors and lawyers and live totally amongst Israelis. Like, they have mosques in Israel where you can go and still um, practice your religion, which you can't do in any of these other countries. Well, it goes, it goes back to what you were saying about the, Pal the Palestinians who actually had uh, hatred towards Jewish people. It only takes 10%. Yeah. In fact, uh, uh, when Hitler went to jail for uh, – when Hitler went to jail and began writing Mein Kampf, the Nazi party only had control of 10% of Germany. 
which is crazy, but it's true. Did they even have control at all, or was it just like kind of a fringe group? No, it was it was ten percent of the vote. So when they oh were, the vote okay yeah, yeah. They, they weren't like they didn't have like parliament seats or anything back then, did they? They didn't have par- parliament seats, but there was enough of an underground uprising that they were like showing up. Okay. So when Hitler wrote Mein Kampf, his percentage was ten percent, and it's kind of like it kind of puts things in perspective for Israel because if there's ten percent of Israelis who are racist enough to want to flatten Israel then that's enough for the flattening to take place. You got to think about it. 70% of people are just going to go with the tide of the storm. Well, well, shock if there's 10% of people in Palestine or there's 10% of people in Egypt or there's 10% of people in Jordan or in Syria who also want the same thing. How do you, how do you manage a powder tech like this? Either, either you let it go off or you do what we should do as the United States and walk over to Israel and say, hey, We've been fighting this kind of war for 200 years. Not only that, but when we beat the British, we beat them with this kind of war. And if you go into Palestine destroying their houses and bombing them senselessly, we're going to end up in a battle that's going to cost us hundreds of millions of lives when all we have to do is reduce or remove any form of racist or religious legislature and create community between the Israelis and the Palestines. Sure, I agree with that. That I, I think that you have religious extremists in the Israeli government that are invoking biblical prophecies um, to justify destroying people. I agree. Um, but the same logic also applies to the fact that you need to put pressure on the international community to get Hamas to ab- abdicate their power and get a more moderate government on the Palestinian side so that you actually can't. Because if you're going to get a ceasefire... I, you know, you want the ceasefire to be permanent. You want you don't want it to be like a two year long ceasefire where everything's okay and everyone's on edge, and then another attack like this or, or more repeated attacks like this and more anger and hostility just occurs on a you know on an annual or biannual basis. Well, yeah, but who are you signing your ceasefire with? Because if we if we know Hamas did the attack, okay, but we're not sure that Hamas did the attack. No, Hamas sure? probably did the attack because we let them do the attack, but it doesn't change the fact that these people are capable and wanted to do this anyway. It also doesn't change the fact that there are going to be ongoing attacks from follow-on militias from around the Gaza Strip and around the Israel area because of the way that we're attacking the Gaza Strip today. So it's like we can we can, we can can do a ceasefire with Hamas. We're not doing a ceasefire with all of the different various militia groups that are out there. That's why I'm saying, that's why we started with saying, like, why uh, why don't we know the names of any of these groups? You don't. So it's just like, who are we having a ceasefire with? Who are we having a ceasefire? So how do you, how a ceasefire do you get with Hamas? So how do you feel about the ceasefire talks? Do you think it's like realistic? It because I'm not. I don't want to sound warmongery at all. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. That's, I just like I just think that when people say, "Hey," when people do protests and say we want a ceasefire, you should understand what that. You should be able to understand and quantify how that would work forever. So what the what this is what this is like is if the MS-13, right, the, the Mexican gang. Okay. If the Mexican gang went through tunnels and showed up in Austin, right, and just started leveling the place, right? So we go to Mexico at the border and just destroy everything. We're smashing Mexico at the border because MS-13 attacked us. We're like, well, this Mexican-backed militia came over here and attacked us, so we attacked Mexico. Yeah, that's and, pretty bad. And it's just like... Okay, well, we as Americans don't see that picture. We as Americans don't recognize that the ceasefire would have to happen with MS-13, which is fucking impossible, because you're not going to talk to those sons of guns without giving up hell. You know what I mean? Well, but do you believe... All right, here's another question. Yeah. Because nobody wants collective punishment or any of that stuff, right? Right. That's not a good thing. Uh, Nobody wants to genocide anybody. 
I think personally the genocide narratives that they say about the Palestinians being genocide is like, it, you know, it's like, um, well, cool. Yeah. Um, if the Palestinians are being gen- genocided just as much as, uh, the, the transgenders are because the five-year-old can't have bottom surgery. You know, I think people throw the word Nazi and genocide around so much that it's hard to know whether or not that's a real meaning. And the Palestinian population has grown like fivefold since like the 1960s. So it's like you'd get a Darwin Award for that. But but I digress. I don't mean to go on. <laughs> I like I, I, I digress on that because that, that's not what, what I want to talk about. Um, what, what I what I wanted to say, though, in response to that, because if you see these bombings at face value and you see what's happening, it's pretty horrible it's horrifying nobody should be like happy or gloating or any of that stuff you know or 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 should show support for decimating a people i think that i I think that um it's evil it's immoral and it also just creates new and more radicalized terrorists what i was gonna say though is that do you try just with with ai with deep fakes with the fact that like hamas also uses paid actors to continue reenacting scenes Mm -hmm. do you trust the videos that are coming out of Gaza. I can because I know what's happening in South America. What, what people don't understand is that there's a cocaine silk road between uh, South America and uh, organizations like Hamas, organizations like the Taliban, organizations like ISIS. Um, the things that are happening in Mexico are being replicated so far as the barbarism and the torture and escalated because they're beginning to work with uh, people like the cartels. The Chinese are beginning to work, work with people like cartels. So these isolated incidents of mass violence like kids getting kip- kidnapped off of buses and murdered in uh, the southern border, those are the types of things that I'm going to begin to expect in the Middle East because they're working alongside each other. No, I agree. But some of the... like. You know, the New York Times posted an article saying that the IDF bombed the hospital and it turned out that it wound up being like a parking lot. And everybody just went up. Everybody, like, um, was super outraged. And then they find out that they're outraged over something that wasn't even true. So I'm, I'm always wondering, like, a lot of the narratives that you see on social media, on both sides, right? But I think that it's a little bit more with the Palestinian side, and I'll, I'll give you one reason why. And I had a lady from the IDF who did social media for the IDF in my podcast, and she said that anytime we po- they post anything, they have to they have to go through like management, they have to speak with lawyers, they have to. There's a million different steps that like people in the IDF have to have to take before they start sharing um, videos about their cause. Whereas the Palestinian side will just throw shit out there indiscriminately because it's about. Uh, because they're just trying to generate as much PR and, and, and get as much funding as possible. So um, that's why I'm wondering, like, how much do you really trust a lot of these videos that are coming out? I, I see what you're saying now. It's not it's not the videos that I don't trust because the videos are easy to, like, put a story behind. You know what I mean? Yeah, For example, yeah. right now we are in a parking lot, right? We're in a parking and lot. Lord knows we could be next to an elementary school. And if someone got into a shootout right here, I mean, we wouldn't say that they got shot, uh, that there was a shootout in an elementary school, but the media would. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's just like um, the same people who masqueraded the the mass uh, spread of COVID and the fact that it was or the idea that it was the deadliest disease in history. No, I don't trust those guys to tell me what's happening on the ground. I don't trust those guys to give me the truth about what's happening, whether Israel's bombing a hospital or a freaking nuclear power plant. Like, I, I don't trust anything. It's hard. To say. To, it's, yeah. Um, I, I, and I think that a big way that these conflicts escalate 
is by getting people hyper emotional and people are just going to throw out a whole bunch of shit and you don't even know if what's being thrown out is true but emotional responses right equally heightened emotional responses create global conflicts and so if, if i'm going to these palestinian protests yeah you know, maybe I have a little bit of skin in the game and I'm going to have a bias, but I'm a openly admitting that I have a bias, right? <laughs> I'm very open about the mm. fact that I have a bias and I'm telling people this right off the bat, you know, B I'm listening to other perspectives. Um, and C, um, if you're making the other side of, of the equation look like, look like complete and total idiots. Well, guess what? You're also, um, deescalating sp- the, you also could be de-escalating the passion that the other side may feel, and that could also potentially help to hopefully avert a conflict. And the only the only reason to stop something like this is with love. I agree. Listen, I'll say this, and we got to wrap up soon. But um, Hamas gets a ton of money from Iran. They like the the Palestinian government gets a lot of fundraising. Um, with the money that they get, there's no excuse for that reason not to be another Dubai. Like mm. I want that. I want. Um, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank. I want the people in that land to have that. I want this land to be Palestinian land, and I want it to become the most prosperous um, area in the world. I, I want it to be Dubai, right? I think that, that I think that's the winning solution: is figure out a um, a path to prosperity where um, the region of Palestine becomes another version of Dubai, and then Israel still gets to have a sovereign country um, right next to it. That's what the I, that, that's what I think I want. And I think that's what I think most people in the world want. And well, there's just got to be a way to communicate to figure out how that becomes reality. Or you could just stop killing each other. Well, I think that generally speaking, when people talk about wanting people talk about shared <laughs> versions for prosperity, you're less likely to kill people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that, that yeah. generally kind of follows. Uh, however, we get there. You know, if your <laughs> yeah, idea works, that, that's freaking dope. If it's freaking a I, cookout, I, I think that um, <laughs> sharing positive visions with people yeah. who are different from you is. Um, seems like it would be an effective way to get people to stop killing each other yeah all right shaka how do we get a hold of you man um i am now the fi guy or the fi guy on instagram.com i changed my handle i now do uh, freedom integration coaching and i am the fi guy on instagram.com i'm excited dude thanks for coming on this is a lot of fun thanks brother i appreciate it all you. right always a pleasure all right